Did you hear that the state won $1.1 billion in settlements from CVS, Walgreens, and others for contributing to the state's opioid crisis? Yeah, it's a big deal. Last month, Attorney General Ford wrapped up four years worth of opioid litigation along with other states to win this national lawsuit. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking to Joey Lovato and Sean Galanka from the Nevada Independent about Nevada's response to the opioid crisis, where the new funds will go, and what we can do to keep our neighbors safe. It's Tuesday, August 1st. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Hey, Joey and Sean, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hello, Vogue. How's it going? How are you? How are you, Sean? I'm doing well. Um, good to be on for the first time, Vogue. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yes, welcome to the party. So, I mean, we're going to get into some, some heavy-hitting topics, but I'm grateful that I have both of y'all as resources to really talk about the opioid epidemic that is rampant in our state. And so much so that actually, like, Attorney General Aaron Ford sued and won $1.1 billion from Walgreens, CVS, and other big pharma companies to fight the epidemic. I want to know from you all's perspective, like, why was that lawsuit successful? Because, wow. Right, Vogue. So this was, I mean, really a series of lawsuits. I think at the outset when this started a few years ago, it was something like 60 defendants originally named of kind of a variety of various drug companies. And Mm -hmm. this was going on nationally where basically attorneys general across the country were saying, we're going to hold these large drug companies responsible for perpetuating the opioid epidemic that has led to, you know, so many thousands and and thousands of opioid overdose deaths across the country. So Attorney General Ford actually said that Nevada has been one of the most devastated by the opioid crisis. And so why do y'all think that our state is so susceptible to opioid addiction? It's hard to say, like, why specifically one state other than another. But Mm. I know that there's a HIDTA team here in Nevada, H-I-D-T-A. It's High Intensity Drug Trafficking Areas. uh, And it's, it's a designated area and they have special teams that usually work with local law enforcement. So the DEA is working with local law enforcement to kind of handle those those, uh, areas. Um, And a lot of that has to do with kind of our location. Las Vegas, for one, is a really big metro area, and there's a lot of tourism, so people can kind of just go there, and it's a a good place to, you know, a lot of partying happening and and drug (laughs) use uh, um, can be seen there. But it also is kind of this thoroughfare between things like LA and Utah. You know, it's you go through Las Vegas to get to a lot of kind of the the Southwest and stuff. Mm. And then you go through Reno to get to, uh, you know, some of the Northern areas. And so because of that, like there's a lot of stuff that's going through the state. Uh, and some of that stops here. Okay. So Nevada is home to a place with uh, lots of parties, simpler access and people who may or may not live here. <laughs> Acting a fool. Okay. This is stressful, you guys. Um, so what do you, what have we heard or what's our understanding of what the attorney general is going to do with all that money to fight the opioid crisis? So, you know, ultimately, the attorney general's role is really just to win that money to go through the litigation. And um, it's, it's going to be passed on to public health agencies, you know, like the Department of Health and Human Services, like the Southern Nevada Health District. As recently, I think it was in December, the state 
formulated its opioid response plan. Basically, this was necessitated by legislation passed in 2021. It basically outlines some different priority areas for spending all of those settlement funds, those $1.1 billion. Have they implemented any of the plan yet? Or is it just, here's the plan, but they haven't started distributing? So they have kind of gone through some very initial phases of using the funding. At the at the state level, at least, it's in a pretty preliminary stage just because, you know, all the way through, I think, June, we were getting these settlements as a state. And so during the legislative session and a little bit before that, I think they've allocated something in the realm of uh, 10, $10 million or so dollars, kind of started with $4 million on some different expenses like medication-assisted treatment programs, for example, We've also seen Clark County is is using some of those funds on an opioid treatment center. There's a, a preliminary plans for a $64 million opioid treatment center in Southern Nevada. And so the county is is moving forward with, with building that out. I know some of the things I was looking at when they were saying what they were going to do with the money was also to change and streamline possibly the way they're collecting data. From what I read, like there's a strip and the strips will let you test drugs to see whether or not fentanyl is present but it doesn't actually show you how much is present. And that our state, Joey, when I was listening to Indie Matters, that our state is one of the only states that doesn't have like uh, an interconnected system for uh, evidence. And I was like, get it together, Nevada, what is happening? So can you elaborate <laughs> on that a little bit? And do you think they're gonna use the money for that? Because <laughs> I need them to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so this is really complicated actually. But yeah, so we don't have a statewide crime lab. We have crime labs in the state, but they're not like a statewide. So they're not working with state organizations. You know, you'll have a crime lab for Southern Nevada, a crime lab for Northern Nevada, maybe one for rural Nevada. Sometimes uh, we're sending off crime stuff, possessed drugs to California or other states to get tested. So yeah, we don't have a statewide crime lab. Uh, We do have a statewide public health lab, but that's different. And they're not usually dealing with criminal things and and prosecution. Hmm. But yeah, so we don't have that. And we also don't Fentanyl testing strips is another thing that advocates have been pushing for. And actually, they are legal to own and possess now. So if you are ever, you know, doing a drug and you're concerned about it having fentanyl, you can buy them on Amazon and, uh, you know, they'll show up and you can test your drugs. And that's something that a lot of advocates push for is using them. Actually, the, the Southern Nevada Health District offers free fentanyl test strips as well as free naloxone, um, which can basically, you know, reverse an opioid overdose. And oh. so that that is the place to go if you're concerned about your drugs being contaminated with fentanyl, basically also just to have naloxone on hand in case, you know, a friend or somebody you're with is is overdosing and they need to be treated immediately. There's also the Good Samaritan law in Nevada. So if you are with somebody that's overdosing and you call the police, you will be protected legally. They can't like prosecute you for calling to say that someone is overdosing. That is the law throughout throughout the state. So y'all have been doing hella reporting on the opioid crisis, and we know from the Southern Nevada Health District that the number of opioid-related overdose deaths between 2018 and 2022 were about 1,412, 46% of that being fentanyl, which is a massive percentage. We mentioned it a little bit already, but can you lay out for us how fentanyl is connected to the broader opioid crisis we're facing? Why is fentanyl so dangerous? 
Yeah, so fentanyl is kind of the new hot topic drug, right? Mm-hmm. And it's on, on, honestly like you're already hearing it kind of go by the wayside for things like xylazine, which isn't an opioid actually, but it is it has similar properties to one. Mm. But so xylazine, you'll probably be hearing about xylazine a lot more in the news soon. But um, for fentanyl, it's super deadly. Uh, I think it's like two milligrams could kill you. It basically like the size of like a mosquito could kill you or less. And it, it's, it's a synthetic opioid. So it's not something like that comes out of like poppy seeds like you see with heroin. And the reason that it's so popular is just because it's super cheap to make and it ends up in, in, in everything, really. And that's the scary thing, right? And that's when we talk about testing strips and, and stuff and, and why you want those is because it ends up in not only cocaine, but I mean, I've heard, I, I interview people who said that it ends up in street marijuana and that such a tiny, tiny amount can kill you. And there's no quality control, right? When it comes to like the illegal drug market. So some... So you may test a drug and it may have fentanyl in it and it might not be enough to kill you, but you mm. might have, you know, a hot batch and it'll, 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 and it'll end your life. And, uh, the way that fentanyl kills you is, is that it, uh, you know, it, it's an opioid. So you end up, you stop, stop breathing. And, and the reason that it's ending up in there is because again, it's so cheap and it's also really addictive. And so because of that, it's getting laced into things to kind of increase its potency, um, so that people go back to, you know, using it. It's, I mean, it's difficult to overstate just how prevalent it is, you know, in in so many street drugs. Like it it is anywhere you look for drugs, there, there's a strong possibility that it will be laced with fentanyl. And, you know, I don't, I don't have the exact ratio on hand, but it is many, many times stronger than heroin in terms of, in terms of potency. So it is very dangerous in that sense. I believe it's 50 times stronger than heroin and a hundred times stronger than morphine. Jesus. Well, one of my friend's nieces a couple years ago passed away. You know, she was at a party, smoked some weed, and the weed had it in it. It it was laced with fentanyl. And, I mean, a devastating death in her family, but also just how young her niece was because it was just like a regular chill. Like, she was like 18 or 19, was going to go to college, and how swiftly her life ended. And, and I know from the things that I was looking at, not only is it like, okay, it's super inexpensive, um, it's super strong, but then also I think about who's susceptible to this. And I think about people who are depressed, people who are going through major life up, life's ups and downs. Um, and if you tell me, okay, well, I can't get a hold of this other type of drug and this one is easier to get a hold of, it's going to cost less, it's way more addictive. And even then when you're trying to quit, the withdrawal is so intense it's a recipe for disaster. I think that everybody, and this is a thing that I learned when I was doing interviews for my piece, was just that everybody knows somebody who's who's been affected by the opioid crisis. I know I know someone from high school who passed away from it, and um, it, it it's just so prevalent. And then that doesn't mean, like I said, that you know if you're doing a drug, you're going to die of a fentanyl overdose. But it just means that you need to be careful and consider that kind of stuff. And you know. There's fentanyl testing strips are very accessible and it's very important to have that. And that's also very important to have naloxone uh, on hand, you know, even if you're just, you know, smoking weed. It's a very easy thing to get a hold of. It's free. Um, so there's lots of organizations around Nevada that are offering naloxone. Um, it's also over the counter now, and that's recent. Um, the FDA just approved naloxone and Narcan for over the counter use. Um, it's a nasal spray, so you can use it if you are worried someone's. Um, Overdosing, the way that it works is that it actually attaches onto the receptors that an opioid would normally attach onto in your brain, mm-hmm. which stop you from breathing. And the naloxone is actually stronger than the opioid. And it will, it's not stronger in terms of its effects on your breathing, but it will protect your brain 
from uh, the, the chemical compounds in, in opioids that will normally attach to your brain and prevent you from breathing and dying. Yeah. So it's a very, very, very accessible drug. Very, um, very something that you should, you should have. Everyone, I think everyone should have it on there. After I did my reporting on it, I, I went out and got some Narcan. So I have it on me if I ever see anyone that has, you know, potentially overdosing. Joey is ready. Got naloxone in my bag. Swag. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if you're ready to save your friends. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. It sucks that it's like a necessity, but it's 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 smart, especially because you've got you you know people who have gone through that. Sean, I'm curious, like if you heard any other personal stories from people about just their experiences either using it or, or knowing someone who passed away yeah you know i i um cover the world of politics so i think something that that kind of comes immediately to mind is clark county commissioner marilyn kirkpatrick who she's someone who's really i think led the charge in in southern nevada's response to this crisis because her daughter has dealt with the uh, methamphetamine addiction. And, and so she's really, I think, in the, her fight for, for greater resources and, and a, a stiffer response, I think, to this crisis has, has pointed to those experiences and has really used that to, to shape, I think, you know, a human response. There's There are people in government who understand this crisis very personally and I think are, are working to address it. But certainly, you know, one aspect of this that I've heard a lot about is just a, a lack of resources. You know, it wasn't until yeah. recently that the state has started to receive the money from these settlements and has started to, to put it to use. The The opioid treatment center in Clark County that I mentioned earlier, you know, that hasn't been built yet. It was just this year that plans right. for it were approved. So certainly there are more resources being put toward responding to this effort, but there's been a lag. That's why we saw such a spike in deaths because there wasn't you know, there, there, there wasn't always widespread availability of naloxone and fentanyl test strips. Mm. And Nevada is... It I had think, to get personal. Right. And I think Nevada is, is pretty notorious for having low grades for, for public health and, and for health care in general. And so finally, these dollars are, are being put to use. And I think one kind of hope on the advocacy and public health side of this is that some other drug like xylazine does not just take over to the point that, uh, you know, the state is, is behind the eight ball again on, on, on another drug crisis. When you say that, it really makes me think back to as I was doing my own research, like it feels like this problem is two pronged because there's the public health problem part of it, but there's also the crime part of it. So who's distributing it? How is it coming into town? How are how are children, how are 16, 17, 18 year olds getting it in their hands? And then who's lacing stuff? with this potentially like deathly drug. So I think about both sides of it and I'm wondering how is the county responding to both sides and are they doing that in a way that's fair? I think it really is a balance of public safety and public health response. I mean, certainly there are experts in, in both of those fields who are probably gonna argue for an approach that, that leans more into one area or another. We saw that discussion uh, dominate the the discussions of the fentanyl bill at the legislature, you know, with prosecutors mm -hmm. and people have that background um, pushing for higher criminal penalties for fentanyl possession versus folks on the public health side saying, no, let's invest in treatment programs and, and that sort of thing. And they said, um, you can't prosecute your way out of this problem. They're like, no, if you keep it didn't work last time we tried. So why would we do this again? Right. And I think certainly they drew a lot of parallels to the, the war on drugs of the, the 80s and the 90s. There was a, a lot of a lot of discussion of that. And, you know, I think certainly the scientific evidence backs up a, a public health driven approach. And, and some of those programs, I think, to to treat 
addiction. And um, I go back to a quote from Clark County Commissioner Marilyn Kirkpatrick. Uh, this was at a press conference last year when I think some county and state folks were kind of going over the, the opioid response. And she said, there's not one silver bullet that's going to fix, fix this. It is a lot of things. And let's start with housing and where they get treatment. There's some really foundational things that are a part of addressing this problem that go beyond even public health and public safety, like housing. You know, people who are homeless homeless are, are, are more susceptible. And, and so um, really having those core elements of, of security are important for people being able to recover and, and kind of stay above the crisis, I think. I think our lawmakers really tried to advocate for our community and try to look at as much information that we have, the, the data that we have so far, and, and make decisions that support the next steps going forward. So I hope people take care of their friends. If you're taking strange drugs, then test your strange drugs, people. <laughs> like, don't. It's it's real in the streets. So um, yeah, and I, I hope that also we get some, some other elements of counseling um, for people who have lost family members and friends to this particular drug. Um, because I think that's another part that that could really help people in in processing. Well, Joey and Sean, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas today. We really appreciate y'all. Thanks, Vogue. Thanks so much, Vogue. To learn more about the opioid crisis, check out Joey's podcast, Indie Matters, for a two-parter titled Facing the Fentanyl Crisis, wherever you listen to podcasts you'll hear more personal stories about how this drug is impacting our state. We'll link to that in our show notes. Now let's get into some news. Sunday's billowing apocalyptic skies were a result of a 77,000 acre fire started in California at the Mojave Preserve. Now it's burned across the California state line into Nevada near Searchlight and Nipton. No official order to evacuate, but some residents aren't waiting. Meanwhile, leaders of our largest teachers union say that if a contract hasn't been reached by August 26th, some schools may face work actions, whatever that means. The union's director declined to clarify. The union wants 10% and 8% raises over the next two years. The district says it can't afford that. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Seriously, knowledge is power, so share this episode with a friend. And stay safe out there, y'all. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care.